0: It's good to see you. Uh, we do welcome all that are joining us online as well, and uh, invite you, if you have brought your scriptures with you, to uh, open them up to the Gospel of John in the second chapter as we begin to read from the first verse. You may be able to find that on your smartphone device, um, but if you'll join us there, then we want to read this together. I think this is one of the most intriguing and, at the same time, enigmatic passages in all of the Gospels. John chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Y'all ready to read? It'll be on the screen if you need it. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee. Now pause for a second because John just introduced a little chronology here. said this is happening on the third day. But if you go back and look carefully at chapter one of this gospel, you'll discover that this really was day seven in John's gospel. But the reference that John is making is that two days ago, He and Andrew were standing by the Jordan River. Jesus came by, and John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, and they followed him. So they've been walking now with Jesus. This is now the third day, if you will. And there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely... Then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray. Father, there's a whole lot in there. And um, I pray, Father, Holy Spirit, that you, you just be a teacher for us. You'd help us to see some truths that apply to our lives and the journey that we're on. And the journey that we're on is a church right now. Because of your goodness and because of your grace, we are looking um, and listening for you. So, Father, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight as the psalmist prayed. Oh Lord, my strength, my redeemer, in whose name we pray, amen. So in the early days of my ministry, I was on a college campus and I had the privilege for about 12 or 13 years to actually serve as an adjunct professor on a state school teaching courses in Bible, believe it or not. State schools back then when I started out had courses in Bible. And my favorite course of all the courses that I taught, of surveys that I taught, was a comparison of the four Gospels. And on this particular day, I had no sooner finished reading this exact text than Tony's hand went up in the back of the classroom. Tony sat in the back with the rest of his frat fraternity guy friends. And the sorority gal sat kind of right in front of him. And he started waving his hand. And I knew that he was speaking to me. He said, Professor Job, I knew he was trying to get my attention, but he wasn't looking at me. He was glancing sideways, both sides, trying to get the approval of his fraternity buddies on the back row. You see, Tony... Tony was the president of a particular fraternity that was known for its parties. And they produced a really great t-shirt to advertise every one of those parties. And trust me, there were a lot of t-shirts floating around. I would mention the name of that fraternity, but invariably I would offend one of you because it would be your fraternity, okay? But Tony was the ringleader of that bunch of guys and so when he asked his question, Professor Job, was this real wine or did Jesus just make a bunch of great juice? And then he broke into a big grin and all of his buddies sort of snickered and chuckled on the back row. I'll share my response in a moment. We're looking at, we're looking at this first miracle of Jesus, right? How do we unpack this? Well, look at verse 11. This is the first of the signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee where he manifested his glory. So John is saying this is the very first miracle Jesus ever performed. You know, as Jesus was beginning his rabbinical ministry and service, as he starts out his campaign, he doesn't restore sight to the blind. He doesn't touch a leper. He, does, he could have really done something amazing like raising someone from the dead. But what did he do? He did a miracle to keep a party going. To keep a party going. I find that Incredible. It was a wedding feast, and it was probably a a wedding for just a couple of young teenagers. But, you know, weddings were big deals in Jesus' day, in biblical times. You started out with a long period of Betrothal. You, you were betrothed for about a year, and that was a, a legal and binding contract between two families that could only be broken with a writ of divorce, but you weren't allowed to consummate that marriage for a period of almost a year as the groom's responsibility was to prepare a place for his bride, either to build a house or maybe add on to his parents' dwelling place or, 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 or to fix up a room uh, and, and to prepare himself and, and means to support the family. And while that preparation was being done, the bride waited until finally the day arrived. Now, weddings in biblical times usually started on Wednesday to avoid the weekend and the Sabbath day. And for us, Wednesday is, starts in the morning, but for the Jews, when does Wednesday start? actually on Tuesday evening for us. So what would happen on that Tuesday evening of that week is the the groom would be joined by all of his friends and family, and they would, by torchlight, they would march over to the bride's house, and she would then, with them, march in a kind of a winding path, through the streets of that little town while townspeople cheered and applauded and congratulated them until they finally got to the place of the feast and there was a short civil ceremony and then the couple that evening was allowed to spend their first night together and then the party started because a wedding feast usually lasted at least a week it was like the biggest deal in your life A wedding feast. The family's there and people are coming and going in and out. And that gathering with food and wine would last a week. Now, there's another thing you need to know about Jewish culture. It's a shame and honor culture. You you grew up in Western civilization. You grew up in the Western world. You don't really know anything about that. But in a shame and honor culture, something disastrous was about to happen. This family, these two teenagers and the and the and the parents of the groom were about to be to be totally shamed and embarrassed and and this was about to be a terrible scene, I'm saying, because the wine was giving out in the midst of the week. A terrible thing. And so Mary approaches Jesus. Now what John tells us is this, this wasn't just his first miracle. This was a sign because in John's gospel, the things that Jesus does, the miracles that he performs are not just acts of incredible dynamite dunamis power or healings or Or wonders or some kind of natural wonder they are signs for us they are signifiers they they point to something more important or they are symbolic they have a a deeper meaning if you will they are signs of something perhaps to come and John tells us that at the end of the gospel when he tells us what his purpose was. He said in chapter 20, verse 30, beginning verse 30, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs, the, the Greek there is Sameon, many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, in the gospel. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, he's Messiah the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name So these were signs Hmm. What do they mean? Well, I want us to just take a look for, for a few minutes this morning at four things that I think will be revealing Okay, let's look at the water jars then let's look at the wine and then let's take a look at the woman in the story. And then let's talk about the why. Okay. Yeah, this preacher likes alliteration. I know you're not used to that, but hey, just go with it. Okay. We're going to talk about those water jars. So you see the water jars tell us two pretty important things. They're signs of two important things. One of them is a sign that, that reveals who Jesus is. And there's another that reveals what Jesus came to do, if you will. Okay. Let me just ask you this. You've all read the book of Genesis, right? What was God's first act in the book of Genesis, beginning in chapter 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, didn't he? Interesting how John starts the prologue to his gospel with that parallel, where John says, in the beginning, the same phrase, only in Greek, not Hebrew, but in Greek, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything was made. You see, there's some common elements here. We start with water. The Spirit of God in Genesis hovers over the face of the water. Jesus says, fill those water pots. God takes in creation six days to create. Jesus has six water pots. Three times in the third verse of the, of the prologue of the first chapter, it says, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Three times, John's a pretty simple Greek, right? Three times he uses the same verb, genomai, for things that come into being are things that are made. And when it says Jesus turned into the water, it's the same verb. They took the water that Genomai had become, had been turned in, had become wine. What John is saying here is that this is the creator of the universe that now walks among us. Remember John's prologue, verse 14? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory to the only begotten of the Father. So John is saying this is the first act of recreation and restoration of what was lost. And why was it lost? Because we created a mess, didn't we? And with our heart attitude, we've all contributed to that mess. And so we now the Creator God walks amongst us. But why did He come and what did He come to do? John, the symbol is, the sign is to bring cleansing and purification to us, for us, to our hearts. John describes with detail there were six stone water water pots there. They didn't use clay pots because the Jews believed that the the porosity of clay could cause things to, you know, to, to cause uncleanness, impurity. So the only pots that could be used for this ceremonial practice had to be hewn out of stone. That would not be easy. And John describes that there were six for this wedding, and each of them contained 50, 20 to 20, 20 to 30 gallons apiece. This was not a small wedding. Was it? They were used for the rites of purification, you see, because the sacrificial system had been set up all the way back into the Old Testament, right? To make purification for sins. And so not only were animals sacrificed, right? For sins, but when a feast was given or before a feast began, like like in the upper room with the disciples. Rites of purification, washing, cleansing had to take place. So it's interesting. John says, I became a follower of Jesus because John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. Boy, that had to cause him to think, huh? Behold the Lamb of God. What's he saying? And here in the midst of this very miracle, Jesus responds to Mary, what what have I to do with thee, Mary? You know, mom, no, not mom, woman. What have I to do with thee? My hour has not yet come. Now, when Jesus says that, what is he thinking about? Every time that phrase is, is used in the Gospels, it means only one thing. It points to only one thing. The cross. That was his hour. When you get to John chapter 13, it says Jesus acknowledged, my hour has come. And where are they? They're in the upper room. The night that he's betrayed. Yes. My hour is not. Get- is he saying to his mother, mother, it's not my day to die? But where's what's he thinking? He's thinking about why he came. He knows why he's come. And John wants us to know that he comes not just because he is the creator and sustainer of the universe with all his creative power, but he comes for a specific reason, and that is to bring cleansing and purification in what he does by his death on the cross. It's the first sign, you see, John is starting to drop those clues real early in the gospel for us, if you will. Okay. Let's talk about the wine. Here's my answer to Tony's question. Did Jesus make real wine? I said, Tony, (laughs) wrong question. The question, the appropriate question for you, Tony, would be Who makes the best wine? And the back row went silent. The wine, in the narrative, we're told is taken to the master of the feast, the MC. And the MC was sort of in charge of everything and probably helped with the introductions. He was usually a prominent citizen or member of the family that was kind of a recognized leader. But he was the, the, the master of the feast. And when he tastes the wine, he calls the groom over, this little teenage guy. And he says, uh, you know, most people serve good wine at the beginning. And then when people have had a little too much to drink and a little too much food. And they're just not very, you know. (laughs) But you have served and kept the best wine until now. John is telling us that this miracle is a sign not only of who Jesus is and what he came to do but of his lasting effect on us and in us and it's joy he's the giver of joy wine in scripture is a symbol of joy and here Jesus makes it in abundance doesn't he 20 to 30 gallons we don't know if those water pots were just different sizes or they were all one size of 20 to 30 but if you just say on average they were 25 gallons that's 150 gallons of wine that's never gonna run out and it's the very best Three quick applications, and then we'll move on. Number one, if you drink the world's wine, it will run out. If you seek your meaning and happiness and your purpose in the world, in all of its endeavors, it won't last. It will run out. Some of you already know that. have experienced that. Graciously, you've already experienced that. Secondly, God never offers us anything less than the best. He always offers his best. I mean, he offered his only begotten, monogenēs only begotten son, a perfect sacrifice. God can't offer us anything less than the best. So if he's making wine, guess what it's going to be? It's going to be the best. And third, John is saying Jesus is the Lord and master, the true master of the feast. And so when we look for approval, we should look only to him. Mm -hmm. All right. So then there's the woman. Mary. Mary. Uh, She has a significant part of this story, doesn't she? Now, I want you to try to, first of all, to put yourself in Mary's shoes for just a moment. Can you do that? Okay. All right. So a little over six weeks ago, right, Jesus has his 30th birthday, and that's significant in Judaism. He has his 30th birthday. A few days later, he closes up the carpenter shop where he apprenticed under his father Joseph. Some years ago... Jewish tradition required that all of those years of study and preparation, putting into practice, but now he sets off to begin his rabbinical ministry. He's been gone about six weeks, okay? Yesterday, as she was preparing for a wedding that's about eight or nine miles down the road in Cana of Galilee, he shows up with five fresh recruits as his first disciples. And the next day, Mary and son Jesus start walking together. They have about two and a half, maybe a three-hour trek to this little town of Cana. Now, what do you think they talk about on the way? What do you think? Does she want to talk about the Waldorf salad that she made to bring to the wedding reception? I doubt it. Mary has known him from the beginning. She's watched him. From the very beginning, you know, she, it, her, his birth was miraculous to begin with. And she has pondered so many things in her heart. And this boy, now a man, she knows is anything but ordinary. I just have to think that she wanted to know what he's been up to. And if he starts describing that, well, Mom, I went down to the Jordan River, and John was baptizing. And I went to get baptized out of obedience to the Father. And uh, John didn't want to do that. He he was really reluctant, but I told him it was to fill, fulfill the will of God. And it was what, you know, the the Father wanted. And so when I came up out of that water, Mom, you're not going to believe this, the heavens opened up. I literally heard a voice from heaven say, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then, Mom, you know what happened next? The Spirit of God just Compelled me out into the wilderness of Jishima, in that place called devastation, and I stayed out there for forty days and forty nights without food. and And God was sent angels to minister to me, but but there was spiritual warfare going on. You know, the the enemy, Satan himself, confronted me three times. You know, in 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 the at the end of that forty year period, and tempted me. You know, with. Mom, you just would not believe. You are you getting this? Man, what is welling up inside this woman? And they're and they're now they're at this feast and Mary apparently is member of the family or knows the family well because she knows what's going on in the kitchen and she and she she learns they've run out of wine. And so Jesus got to be the answer, right? Right? So they're out of wine and he says woman what has that to do with me my hours' yet come now he didn't call her mother did he <laughs> he didn't now I want you to be sure he was not disrespectful This was a very respectful way to address a woman, but it was formal. It's formal. It doesn't denote closeness or intimacy like their conversation on the road, perhaps. It doesn't denote informality, it's formal. Now, I don't know about you, but I only called my mother woman once. I was about 15 years of age. I was about 15 years of age, and I made the mistake of multiplying my problem by using the word old as an adjective in front of it. And it was nearly the last, my last day on the earth. I mean, I remember my mama's response was something like, maybe you've heard, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. And she meant it. But Jesus is not disrespectful. He doesn't dishonor his mother, but he is formal. He's somewhat distanced, if you will. Now, this version says, what does that have to do with me? I love the King James Version. It says, you know, woman, what have I to do with thee? The New American Standard, I think, is actually a little closer, in my view, to the literal. Because the New American Standard says, what does this have to do with us? Because the literal translation is, what do we have in common? What is between us? Jesus is not dishonoring his mother, but he does signal a change in their relationship. She's waited for it. It's the fulfillment of what she saw when he was about 12 years old in that year of preparation before he was bar mitzvah At the end of that 12th year, you know, a young man was bar mitzvah and became a son of, bar means son, mitzvah is the, was their law, bar mitzvah? He, you know I'm saying? He, become, he becomes literally a man and he's then apprenticed after that. You know what I'm saying? And and he's in that year of preparation. And so it's an important year. So they make the journey from Nazareth down to to the temple in Jerusalem with with family and friends. And they're on their return trip home, and, and he's disappeared. They don't know where he is. They think he's maybe with some of the friends and other family, but they can't find him anywhere. They have to go all the way back to Jerusalem, and then they search everywhere. And finally, they decide to look in the inner court of the temple, in the court of the Jews. And there he is. He's. He's astonishing the religious leaders and scholars, the scribes, the, the Pharisees, the saints. You know, they're, they're, just, they're just standing around, They're engrossed in the things that he's, this lad is saying. And Mary scolds him. Don't you know we were searching for you everywhere? And he says, am I not to be about my father's business? What's he saying to his mom? I think he's saying, Mom, I don't follow your lead. Not dishonoring you, but the relationship has changed. I'm now all about the Father's will and the Father's business. You know what's so cool about it? She gets it. She gets it. I mean, she didn't stand there arguing with him, you know, scowling at him, you know, whatever. You know, um, she simply looks at the servants and says, do whatever he says. And here's the deal. I think that's the key verse in this text. You know why? Because everything changes and hinges on that. When she try, stops trying to control the situation, stop trying to fix everything like you know like some of you moms like to do, right? And men are like that too. We just know all the answers and we try to tell you, and, you know, and y'all figure we're not listening because we can't relate to the, just how deeply you feel it, right? But I mean, that's the key verse. That's the verse for for you and I do whatever he says don't whatever that situation is you're in invite him in and just do whatever he says (laughs) novel idea that's easy right is that easy for you I'm just going to be honest no that's not easy for me because most of the time most of the time, I want my will to be done, and I want God to approve of it. Right? You know, you know what I'm talking about. You know, uh, b- about last week, uh, Scott um, texted me a, a quotation from uh, Pete Scazzaro's little week, uh, daily blog, and where Sczareo said the most practiced spiritual discipline among Christians is this: getting what we want. If we're honest, you know, it's like, I, I, I remember, you know, you know, one day I wanted a donut really bad, and I, I prayed. I said, God, if, you, if I want a donut, if you, if, you, if you want me to have a donut, just, I want, if you'll put a parking space right in front of Dunkin' Donuts, then I'll know that I'm supposed to have a donut. And you know what? He answered my prayer. It, I had to drive around the block five times. But you see what I'm saying? A lot of times waiting on God means I just told him what, what I want him to do and then I'm going to wait until he fulfills my wishes. Church, we're in a period right now where the thing we need to hear as a church is do whatever he says. That's what our transition team, we're, we're talking about that. And we're, you know, we're, we're trying in every way we can to make sure that we're allowing his transformational power to, to be connected to him and, and to bring everything before him and lay it before him and say, okay, now we don't want to be in control of this. We want you to be in control of this. So, God, we want to do whatever you tell us. Mary got it right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there are so many ways that you want to reveal yourself to us. Thank you for this text. For all the truths that are buried in there for us to dig out. Let those truths begin to sink into us. That you, you creator God, walked among us so that you, for a single purpose or a single focus, that you could become a sinless and perfect sacrifice on a cross to bring cleansing, purification to our hearts. Because... You want the best for our lives because you are the Lord of the feast. You are everything that we need. And so, Father, help us as a church. Help us as individuals, but as a corporate body, as the, the church called Centennial, to be so attentive that we would want nothing more than your will, that we would want nothing more than to do whatever